0: exploring this novel interpretation of Daniel chapter 11, verse 40 through 45, so stay tuned. All right, we're live streaming to YouTube and also to Sermon Audio, and you can find many more Bible studies on Sermon Audio and uh, the other YouTube channels. These YouTube studies air on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock a.m. Mountain Time, and also I do a Bible study or a sermon on Final Fight Bible Radio on Fridays at 9 o'clock a.m. and p.m. Mountain Time, and also there is a live Final Fight Bible Radio broadcasts that I do on Fridays at 10 o'clock a.m. Mountain Time. And if you enjoy this content, uh, subscribe and share it with your friends and family. And if you're interested in additional in-depth studies, I have uh, four books that are available through the Final Fight Bible Radio store, also Kindle, and also Google eBooks. And if you'd like to support the ministry of Final Fight Bible Radio, these Bible studies or myself, you can do so through the various donation links. And thank you for those of you who do contribute to the ministry. I appreciate it. All right, so we're in the final lessons of this study of Daniel chapter 11, and in the last couple lessons, I've explained the generally accepted interpretation of Daniel chapter 11, verse 40 through 45, and I pointed out the problems that I believe are there with that particular theory, and then I've started to introduce my new alternate theory that the king of the north is Jesus in verses 40 through 45. And although my theory might not necessarily be perfect, at least from what I can tell, it seems to fit a little bit better and certainly has far more scripture to support it. (laughs) All right, so let's look at Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. We've got a lot of scripture to go through today, so I'm going to be moving fairly quickly, not to mention I have a bit of a cold, so you'll have to bear with my voice. But it says in Daniel 11, verse 40, it says, and at the time of the ends, uh, being the great, the end of the great tribulation period, the end of the three and a half year great tribulation period, shall the king of the south? Oh, it looks like I have. I'm kind of bouncing around with my camera. Well, we'll do what we will do our best with what we can. Uh, the king of the south, the antichrist, uh, shall push at him, the king of the north. Like I said, this is an alternate interpretation from what is generally presented, but uh, the other generally accepted theory. Uh, seems to have some problems and doesn't have any scripture to support it. That's why I'm looking into a different theory. My theory that I'm presenting might not be right either, but when you have a theory that has zero scripture evidence to support it, you're kinda, you are kind of have a problem. all right? So this theory at least has some scripture. So anyway, let's look at uh, verse 40. It says, uh, The king of the south, the Antichrist, is going to push at him, Jesus, the king of the north. And the king of the north, Jesus, the second advent, shall come against him, the Antichrist, the son of perdition specifically, Like a whirlwind, and we looked at these words last week, a tempestuous army, that whirlwind is what that's like, with uh, chariots, these are supernatural chariots from heaven, and with horsemen, which is going to involve angels and saints in the Lord's army, and with many ships, all right, that's a tough word, so maybe it's referring to these seraphim chariot mobiles that uh, Ezekiel 1 talks about, but uh, that was speculation, and shall overflow and pass over, all right? Now, the Bible speaks of a route that Jesus takes at the second advent. When he returns, Jesus doesn't just pop out of the sky over Jerusalem. And I apologize if the camera is jumping. Is the camera jumping? Maybe you guys can put it in the notes, but it looks to me like the camera is jumping, which is irritating. Hopefully the audio is not jumping, at least. But anyway, when the Lord returns, he doesn't pop out over Jerusalem from the sky. Uh, according to the Bible, it looks like there's, what's going to happen is he actually appears over Mount Sinai, and then he, he heads northward, going through a number of areas. He goes northward up through the King's Highway, as it's called, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 17. And he goes through Edom, through Moab, through Ammon, crosses the Jordan River, comes into Jerusalem. His The first time his foot touches the ground is on Mount of Olivet, uh, just east of Jerusalem. And then after that, he fights the final battle in the Valley of Jezreel, up by the hill of Megiddo. And so there's three specific... Uh, battles that occur at the second advent. And there's going to be a battle in Edom or in Basra. I should say a big battle is described there. There is a battle in Jerusalem and there is a battle in the Valley of Jezreel. And if you want more information, detailed information on that, uh, Dr. Peter Ruckman wrote a really good book called the path of the second advent that you can get through the Bible Baptist bookstore that has more information on that. So Jesus's army is going to overflow and It's jumpy. Okay, is the audio jumpy? Okay. Alright, so the camera is jumpy, unfortunately, but the audio is not jumpy, so we're just going to deal with it and move forward. I was having this issue last night, so that's about the best I can do. Alright, otherwise I'm going to have to turn off my computer and restart the whole thing. I've been having technical difficulties lately, but anyway, since the audio is not jumpy, the audio is good. Okay, good. Sorry about the video today. I'll get it fixed next week. Anyway, it's too late to start over now. So Jesus' army is going to overflow and pass over Edom, Moab, and Ammon, and his fiery army is going to be scorching the earth along the way. Now fortunately for today, uh, there's a lot of scripture to read, so even though the video is sort of jumpy, um, there's going to be a lot of scripture. So go ahead and turn to Joel chapter 2. And I'm just going to go ahead and start reading these things. I've got a lot of scripture to get through. But Joel chapter 2 in verse 1, these are verses that are referring to the second advent. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, it is nigh at hand. Okay, the day of the Lord, meaning the second advent. More often than not, when you see the day of the Lord in scripture, it's a reference to the day of the Lord's return at the second advent, at the end of the tribulation. Okay. So it says it's not at hand. And and this day verse two is a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong there hath not ever been the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the top of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble and a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people... These are the enemies of Jesus Christ, the nations that are against him, that have assembled against the Lord. Before their, his army, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. Why? Because they're being burned. They, God's army, shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another, and they shall walk every one in his path. Now check this out, verse 8. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. (laughs) All right, that's a supernatural army. Okay, verse 9, and they shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. What are you reading about? You're reading about Jesus Christ's army that comes with him at the second advent, destroying the people that have joined the Antichrist. Verse 10, the earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. There's an indication of where you're at, right here, the second advent. And the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and terrible. Who can abide it? All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. All right, got it right here. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. All right, turn to Isaiah chapter 63. Now what we're looking at is where it says there in Daniel that he shall overflow and pass over. All right, I'm interpreting that as Jesus Christ, the king of the north, overflowing the nations of Edom, Ammon, and Moab. And passing over all right and as he passes over he leaves a trail of uh, fire and corpses in his wake all right isaiah chapter 63 verse 1 starts with a question who is this that cometh from edom oh edom right there who is this that cometh from edom with dyed garments from bozrah this that is glorious in his apparel traveling in the greatness of his strength here's the answer i that speak in righteousness Mighty to save. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Verse 2, here's another question. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Answer, from the Lord, verse 3, I have trod in the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me. Now it doesn't say of the saints there was none with me. It says of the people, like it said there in Joel chapter 2. Of the people there is none with me. And usually Isaiah 63 verse 3 is interpreted in the sense that Jesus Christ is going to uh, fight in this battle of Bozrah by himself, and all the saints are going to be watching as he single-handedly destroys the enemy. But that's, a, and, and the idea is that the saints don't actually fight with Jesus, it's just Jesus himself taking vengeance but that's actually not true according to Joel chapter 2 Jesus's army is doing fighting with him and same with Isaiah 1 for uh, Psalms 150 Ezekiel 25 Obadiah 1 Zechariah 10 John 18 and so forth Jesus's army fights with him all right so when he says of the people there was none with me it's referring to the people of the other nations no other nation on earth helps the Lord or helps the Jews, because all the nations of the of the world, including, unfortunately, the United States of America, are going to be joined against Israel and against the Lord in the last days. So when the Lord says, of the people, there is none with me, the United States of America isn't going to be like, all right, Jesus is back, let's join Jesus. <laughs> it's not going to work that way, all right? No nation is going to be with Jesus Christ, it's only going to be Jesus and his army fighting all the other nations, All right, so in Isaiah 63, verse 3, it goes on to say, For I, the Lord, will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. Verse 4, For the day of vengeance, second advent, is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed, the people of Israel, is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, besides his own army, obviously, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm... That's a a military term a lot of times in the Bible. It has to do with an army. It could be his literal arm, but it also has to do with his army. My own army brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. All right, so... Whether you want to say my own arm brought salvation unto me is that he his own arm is killing the enemy, that's fine, but you still have a bunch of other scriptures that indicate that his army is fighting with him at this battle. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. The imagery is like David and his mighty men fighting the Philistines or something like that. It's Jesus Christ and his mighty men, the angels, the saints, that are with him. Fighting the enemy. And in a case you're still not convinced that uh, others fight with Jesus, listen to Ezekiel chapter 25, verse 14. The Lord says, I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to mine anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. All right, so anyway, look what happens to the land of Edom after jesus overflows and passes over so we know that he's going to fight at edom but look what happens after he comes through there isaiah chapter 34 verse 1 come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people and let the earth hear and all that is therein the world and all things that come forth of it for the indignation of the lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies, he hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. Verse 5, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edomia. In other words, Edom. All right. It shall come down upon Edomia and upon the people of my curse, which is the Edomites, the house of Esau, to judgment. Verse 6. For the sword of the Lord, which is a fiery sword, according to Revelation 19, is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats and with the fat of kidneys of rams. All right. All these things are metaphors for demonic entities. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Bozrah and a great slaughter in the land of Edomia. All right. And uh, (laughs) too much coffee with the video. Yeah, I know, right? I've I've had a lot of coffee this morning. Verse 7. And the unicorns, which is another connection to demonic entities shall come down with them, meaning they're being slaughtered, they're being killed with the rams and the bullocks and the goats. And the bullocks with the bulls, another metaphor for demonic entities, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat, with fatness. Verse 8, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams, now check this out, this is what happens to Edom at the second advent. The streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched. A fire that's not quenched. That sounds a lot like hell, like a lake of fire. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it, the land of Edom, shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. And then you read about more demonic entities dwelling in the fire, typified by animals in verses 11 through 15. All right, so over in the Gospels, Jesus mentions a number of times that when he returns, his enemies are going to be physically thrown into flaming fire. They are not spiritually cast into hell in the center of the earth. They are physically cast into the fire. And it has a very great white throne type feel to it. But he's not talking about like in Matthew chapter 25 when his enemies are cast into the flaming fire and uh, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the, into the lake of fire. That is not the lake of fire over here that you read about in, at the end of Revelation chapter 20. There is a literal burning fire on the earth that Jesus casts his enemies into at the second advent and that lake of fire is right here in the land of Edom. This whole area becomes like a flaming inferno. Because he passed through it, and the land as was as the Garden of Eden, as it says, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and a fire burns. this whole thing is be, the streams become pitch, right and the land is as fire, and the land becomes burning pitch. all right, so what happens at the start of the millennium with Jesus casting his physical enemies into a lake of fire is a type of what's going to happen here after the battle of Gog and Magog when his enemies are cast into the uh, lake of fire that after the destruction of the heavens and the earth, and then there's this, I don't know, nebulous, maybe extra-dimensional lake of fire that God throws the souls of all the damned mankind into at the end of the great white throne judgment. Um, I say extra-dimensional zone because it seems like the new heavens and the new earth, there's not going to be any location in the universe where you could go to see these uh, burning souls. I kind of wonder if he's going to divide a dimension there and they'll just never be seen or heard from again. But in their own dimension, uh, the smoke of their torment will ascend up forever and ever. I don't really know. It's just speculation. All right. But anyway, uh, the lake of fire is going to be on the earth in Edom and Jesus is going to cast his enemies into that fire. And that's where the beast and the false prophet will be cast into, all right? So the Bible really does fit together perfectly, especially when you, when you get all the right pieces together, all right? So with this information in mind, look at Daniel chapter 11, verse 41, all right? He, Jesus, shall enter also into the glorious land, meaning Jerusalem, and many countries shall be overth- overthrown, all right? So this sentence includes and concludes the battle of Armageddon and the Antichrist's defeat. He enters into Jerusalem, and many countries are overthrown. What are those countries? Well, the countries that are being overthrown, it's not like Jesus is going to go up into Russia and overthrow Russia, and then go over to Australia and overthrow Australia. It's not like that. Uh, The countries that are overthrown specifically are Edom, Moab, and Ammon, but also by virtue of Jesus destroying the armies of the world, he overthrows those countries in the sense that he destroys all of their armies at the battle of Armageddon. Revelation sixteen thirteen says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. All right, so by destroying the armies of the nations, all the armies of the nations collectively come together in this area to fight against Israel and Jesus Christ. By overthrowing those armies, he in effect overthrows the countries and by default becomes the de facto ruler over those countries. All right, so in the rest of the verse it says, he shall enter into the glorious land, Jerusalem, and many countries shall be overthrown. But then it says, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon, all right. Like I said, I'm going to be transparent with the problems of my interpretation. And here's another potential problem uh, with my King, my Jesus equals King of the North interpretation. All right, how could Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon escape out of Jesus's hand? It would be ridiculous to think that anyone could escape out of Jesus's hand, and the Bible clearly states that Edom is going to be completely destroyed by Jesus. So how does Edom escape out of Jesus' hand? That seems like a contradiction. How does that work? That, you know, we don't want contradictions. You know, if we have a contradiction, then a theory can't be right. All right, so how could we explain this from the presentation that I'm giving? Well, first of all, we should think about what does the phrase his hand signify? Sometimes, yes, it refers to utter destruction uh, of someone. But the problem is, let's see if that fits. But these shall escape out of of the utter destruction of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. No, that's not going to work. We know that Edom is going to be utterly destroyed, so his hand certainly can't mean utter destruction. So could the phrase, they shall escape out of his hand, mean something else? Well, technically, yes. And notice that this term appears in verse 42 also and notice how the bible defines itself in verse 41 and verse 42 look at this he jesus shall stretch forth his hand also upon one the countries and two the land of egypt shall not escape escape what his hand all right now the thought continues into the next verse but he jesus shall have now look at this power now what is that that's authority that's dominion that's rule over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans, which is essentially Western Egypt, and the Ethiopians, essentially southern Egypt, shall be at his steps. Again, referring to being under his feet, being under their his servitude, international servitude or the nations at his steps. Okay. So in verse forty two through forty-three, we see that Jesus' hand has to do with his power. His dominion, his rule, his authority, which is fine. The nations are under his hand in the sense that Jesus rules over them. They are under his hand in the sense that he has control or dominion over the nations. And so using that definition, that would mean that Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon shall escape his hand. They'll, his, they'll escape his rule. But the land of Egypt shall not escape his rule, his hand, okay? So follow along here. Let's test this theory out, all right? He, Jesus, shall enter into the glorious land, Jerusalem, and many countries shall be overthrown by virtue of their armies being defeated at Megiddo. But these shall escape out of his hand, his dominion. These shall escape his dominion, his rule, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Perhaps they will escape his rule. You say, okay, well, how do they escape from Jesus' dominion and rule if Jesus is ruling over all the nations in the millennium? Well, these nations, who are the enemies of Israel and the enemies of Jesus, escape Jesus' millennial dominion because they no longer exist. (laughs) They are not under his hand, they are not under his dominion or his rule because they have been obliterated. So I realize that that's a weird way to explain it, and maybe that's not a very, good, um, a very good rationale or a very good way of defending this theory. But technically, it's not incorrect because you can't rule over something that doesn't exist. <laughs> right? The thing is here, Edom is obliterated, and the Edomites are wiped out of, ex- out of existence at the second advent. Moab is made completely desolate. And Rabbah, which is the chief city of the children of Ammon, is made completely desolate at the second advent. However, the capital of Egypt, also the capital of Egypt, Mystery Babylon, which I theorize is going to be New Cairo, uh, is also made completely desolate. But the entire land of Egypt, the entire country of Egypt, is not made desolate. Mystery Babylon will be completely destroyed. And the Nile River is going to be completely messed up. But the entire land of Egypt is not made desolate. The rest of Egypt still exists. And so in the millennium, the remaining land of Egypt, including Libya and Ethiopia, will be brought under Jesus' dominion and shall not escape his rule, shall not escape his hand, just as the text says. All right, so if we're going to go this route, if I'm going to say that Edom, Moab, and Ammon escape his hand in the sense that they escape his rule because... They've been obliterated. We need some scripture in order to validate or verify that possible interpretation. All right, so let's take a look at the destiny of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, and also Egypt. Okay, I'm going to go through this quickly, but I've got all the scriptures written out here that you can look at later if you want. But here we go. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possession. Speaking of Edom. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, which is Jesus's second advent army. And the house of Edom, uh, the house of Esau, which is Edom or Edomia and Bozrah, uh the house of Edom for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them. Now look at this, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. They're completely obliterated. Okay. Isaiah 11, verse 14, the context is the second advent, but they, the Jews, shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west, and they shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. Okay, that's the destruction of the, the prophecy of the destruction of the Nile River. None of these scriptures that I'm talking about here have been fulfilled yet. So they've got to be fulfilled evidently at the second advent of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of talk about Edom, Moab, Ammon, and Egypt in these last day contexts. Why doesn't there, why isn't there more talk about uh, Russia and Uh, Great Britain in America, right? I mean, that's, or or Rome, for that matter. No, it's it's all this emphasis on Egypt, Moab, Ammon, and and Edom, all right? Isaiah 16, this is also evidently a second advent prophecy. And in verse 5, it says, And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he, Jesus, shall sit upon it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. But now look at verse 4, before verse 5, verse 4. Let mine outcasts, which are the Jews from the Antichrist's desolation, dwell with thee, Moab. Be thou a covert to them from the face of the spoiler, the Antichrist. For the extortioner is at an end, the great tribulation is is ending soon, and the spoiler ceaseth, and the oppressors are consumed out of the land. So the Lord is telling Moab during the Great Tribulation to protect the Jews that are fleeing the Antichrist's destruction. But does Moab listen to the Lord and assist the fleeing Jews? Verse 6, We have heard of the pride of Moab. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) He is very proud, even of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath. But his lies shall not be so. Then you skip over to verse 14, But now the Lord hath spoken, saying, Within three years which is a very interesting time element, especially in relation to the time of the great tribulation. Within three years, as the years of an hireling and the glory of Moab shall be contemned with all that great multitude, and the remnant shall be very small and feeble. Okay, so God has a problem with Moab. Isaiah chapter 15, verse one, the burden of Moab. Because in the night... All right, that is a term that relates to the tribulation period, nighttime. And he says, he's talking about Moab and he's talking about night. So I can't help but wonder if we're dealing with the great tribulation prophecy. Because in the night, Ar of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. Because in the night, Kerr of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. Okay, verse five, my heart shall cry out for Moab. His fugitives shall flee unto Zoar and heifer of three years old. For by the morning, the mounting up of Luhith with weeping shall they go it up for in the way of Horonaim, they shall raise up a cry of destruction. Isaiah 25 verse 10 for in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest millennium and Moab shall be trodden down under him. The Lord, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, the Lord will, and as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride, the pride of Moab, together with the spoil of their hands. And the fortress of the high fort of thy walls shall he bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, even to the dust." Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 40. For thus saith the Lord, behold, he, the Lord, shall fly as an eagle and shall spread his wings over Moab. Evidently, it's the Lord in this passage. Kirioth is taken, and the strongholds are surprised, and the mighty men's hearts in Moab at that day shall be as the heart of a woman in her pangs, and Moab shall be destroyed from being a people." because he hath magnified himself against the Lord. Very interesting. Now, either that happened historically in the past with Nebuchadnezzar coming through, or this is a prophecy for the second advent. And yes, Nebuchadnezzar evidently did do destruction among the Moabites at the, around 600 BC, but there's a number of these prophecies relating to Moab that seem to have to do more with the second advent of Jesus Christ then Nebuchadnezzar's attack. All right, Jeremiah 49, or yeah, 49 verse one, concerning the Ammonites. Thus saith the Lord, hath Israel no sons? Hath he no heir? Why then doth their king inherit Gad and his people dwell in, their, dwell in his cities? Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will cause an alarm of war to be heard in Rabbah of the Ammonites. All right, Rabbah is the capital of the Ammonites. Rabbah is the chief of the, the chief of, how's how that phrase in Daniel? <laughs> the chief of the children of Ammon. That's Rabbah. That's the capital, the chief city. Okay, Rabbah. So in Isaiah, Jeremiah 49, verse two, the Lord says there's going to be a, an alarm of war in Rabbah. Okay. And it shall be a, what? A desolate heap. And her daughters shall be burned with fire. Those are the surrounding cities. Then shall Israel be heir unto them that were his heirs, saith the Lord. When has that ever happened? When has that happened in history that Rabbah was destroyed and then Israel became heir to them that were his heirs? In other words, Israel was uh, defeated by the Ammonites or whatever or taken captive by some of these people, and now these people are defeated and Israel takes them captive when has that happened in history right the verses that i'm talking about here rarely even get talked about why because they don't fit in a rome end time context theory and these things as a consequence just kind of get glossed over (laughs) let's just we don't know what these mean so let's just not talk about it all right so there's all this talk about edom moab ammon egypt why Well, maybe because those are the primary locations that have to do with the end times. Just throwing it out there. All right. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Okay. So it's not saying tenth generation and then they can. It's the tenth generation is kind of like a figure of speech, like it's never going to happen. All right forever they're not going to enter into the congregation of the Lord because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Peor of Mesopotamia to curse thee all right so you recall that story now you also recall that there's an odd story in the old testament where David the king destroys the city of Rabbah and the people of the Ammonites and in that pati- and that particular story stands out because of the peculiar Brutality that David destroyed those people with. You read about it in Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse twenty-nine. It says, "And David gathered together all. David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, which is the chief of the children of Ammon, and fought against it and took it, and took their king's crown from off his head. The weight whereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones, and it was set on David's head. And he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance." And he brought forth the people that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of of iron, which is a, a plow type of thing, and under axes of iron and made them pass or made them die through the brick kiln. He burned them alive. And thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned unto Jerusalem. Now that's very brutal. And there, there might be some reason as to why he did that, but he didn't ever treat any other city like that. However, it's so savage that you wonder if there's like a Second Advent typology there with Jesus' return destroying the children of Ammon. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 8 I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom, and the children of it, of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits, and a what? Perpetual desolation. Huh. The residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This shall they have for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts, which evidently happens... During the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist is desol- made the Jerusalem desolate. The people are fleeing out of the land, and they're in the mountains and the hills, and they're running and trying to get away. And naturally, a lot of people are going to go over over here looking for help, and uh, the Ammonites and the Moabites are not going to help them, just like a lot of the people in Poland and Germany and those places in World War II turned the Jews into the Gestapo so that they could go to the concentration camps and be killed. So a lot of the Jews that come over here, God tells these people to protect his people, and they don't. The Edomites, the Moabites, and the children of Ammon evidently turn them into the Antichrist and allow them to be killed. So Jesus Christ, when he comes at the second advent, he is going to make them desolate for not helping his people, specifically. And it makes sense, because these are the nations that are the closest to the Jews that are going to be fleeing out of Jerusalem. So, of course, there's going to be a lot more judgment on this area uh, than a lot of the other areas. All right, anyway... Numbers 24, verse 17, I shall see him. Here's a prophecy of Balaam. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel, first and second advent of Jesus Christ, and shall what? Smite the corners of Moab. The scepter shall rise out of Israel. Did you get that? The star comes out of Jacob. All right, first advent. The scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's Jesus Christ ruling from Israel, second advent. And what does he do at his second advent? He shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir, which is in Edom, also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. What city? Well, the context is Edom and Moab. So it's going to be one of their two cities. Bozrah, more than likely. Or it could be the chief city of the children of Ammon, because that would fit the prophecies. Ezekiel 25, verse 2, we're almost done. Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites, and prophesy against them, and say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, because thou saidst, Aha! against my sanctuary, when it was profaned, and against... The land of Israel, when it was desolate, that looks like it could be great tribulation. And against the house of Judah, when they went into captivity by the Antichrist, that'll happen in the great tribulation. Behold, therefore, I will deliver thee to the men of the east for a possession, and they shall set their palaces in thee, and make their dwellings in thee, and they shall eat thy fruit and drink thy milk. And I will make Rabbah, which is the capital of of the Ammonites, a stable for camels, and the Ammonites a couching place for flocks, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, Because thou hast clapped thine hands, and stamped with the feet, and rejoiced in heart with all thy despite against the land of Israel, behold, therefore I will stretch out mine hand upon thee, and I will deliver thee for a spoil to the heathen, and I will cut thee off from being a people, and I will cause thee to perish out of the countries, and I will destroy thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, because that Moab and Seir, which is Edom, do say, so we got Ammon, now we got Moab, now we got Edom, okay? They say, behold, the house of Judah is like unto all the heathen. Therefore, behold, I will open the side of Moab from the cities, from his cities which are on his frontiers, the glory of the country, Beth-Jeshemoth, Baal-Meon, and Kiriathaim, unto the men of the east with the Ammonites, and and I will give them in possession, that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations, and I will execute judgments upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because that Edom hath dealt Against the house of Judah by taking vengeance, and hath greatly offended, and revenged himself upon them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will also stretch out mine hand upon Edom, and will cut off man and beast from it, and I will make it desolate from Teman, and they of Dedan shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to mine anger and according to my fury. And they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. When did that happen in history? Exodus fifteen thirteen. 13. Uh, after the children of Israel came through the Red Sea, here's this song that they sing, the prophecy afterwards. It says, Thou in thy mercy hast led, hast led forth thy people, which thou hast redeemed, delivered from Egypt, Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be still as a stone. Thy pe- Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased." Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. And you say, oh, well, that's all Old Testament referring to Israel going into the land. Yes, but look at the dual application in verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The destruction of Pharaoh and his army at the uh, Red Sea is a type of the second advent. And so, after the second advent, the Lord reigns forever and ever. And what do you have in the context of all this? This uh, destruction, desolation, fearfulness falling upon Edom and Moab and the people of Palestina in this particular context. So, I know I'm going a little bit long, but the question is, have you had enough? <laughs> what are you going to do with all of these verses? The destruction of Edom, Ammon, And Moab is a constant theme throughout the Old Testament prophecies and even into the New Testament. And it looks to me that these prophecies come to pass and are fulfilled at the second advent. And I understand that some of these verses could definitely apply to Israel's destruction during the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the events surrounding that time. But there are multiple elements within these prophecies that do not fit in the past and have a very strong tribulation, second advent connotation, especially Isaiah 34, with the land of Edom becoming a flaming fire. That has never happened. Nebuchadnezzar did not do that. All right, so even though my Jesus equals king of the north theory is a bit of a tight fit in some places and isn't as snug, you know, as maybe we might prefer, I don't think that I'm too far out in the left field for suggesting that these final verses in Daniel chapter 11 are in reference to the second advent and lay out some details that we find confirmed throughout the writings of the other prophets such as Isaiah, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, and uh, even Balaam and Ezekiel, okay? So we'll stop there for today. I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. I hope you learned something. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this YouTube channel. Share it with your friends and family. And I hope, if nothing else, you've been given something to think about. I apologize again for the jumpy video, and I will fix that next week. God bless you. God's grace be with you. Have a good week.